Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM Channel 233. I'm your host, Dr. Kathleen Margolin. Each year in the United States and other developed countries, immunization of very young and elderly against contagious diseases such as the flu virus is routine and affordable. Unfortunately, in poor and developing countries, between 2 and 3 million children die each year from diseases that could be prevented with vaccinations. Pneumonia, meningitis, and other deadly diseases are preventable with vaccination against a bacterium known as pneumococcus. Here to discuss pneumococcal vaccines and the commercial challenges to providing the vaccine to those in need is my guest, Dr. Oren Levine. Dr. Levine is Executive Director of the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunizations, Pneumococcal Accelerated Development and Introduction Program, and Associate Professor of International Health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Levine. Hi, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. The numbers that we're talking about here are enormous. Two to three million children a year dying from what could be prevented with a series of shots. Can you describe how these diseases play out when children don't receive immunizations? Yeah, a lot of people are shocked when they hear the number that diseases that we sort of considered conquered or vanquished here in the U.S. are continuing to ravage the children in developing. It's always sort of a surprise and a shock when people hear that. And it's actually a situation not that far different from what we did experience here in the U.S. or Europe, uh, say, 100 years ago. Many of the same diseases that were major killers in those days remain major killers in the developing world. So, for example, pneumonia. Pneumonia is an important disease in the U.S., but it's nowhere near the kind of killer it is in developing countries. And there's a pretty simple reason for that. The conditions under which children and families live in developing countries are really very different from the conditions here in the U.S. They often have a series of infections that may interact with nutrition to undermine their immune system. They often have a very difficult time accessing care. And so it's not uncommon at all for something like a pneumonia or a diarrhea episode that would be easily and quickly managed here in the U.S. to progress to a fatal illness in in children in developing countries. And a lot of these populations also suffer from high rates of AIDS and HIV, which increases their vulnerability? Definitely. AIDS is a a major global health problem. There's no question that, that AIDS has a devastating effect on many populations where the prevalence is very high. It would be um, unfortunate, though, to over-exaggerate the role of AIDS in child mortality. It is, in fact, pneumonia and diarrhea, the same things that have been the leading killers of children for 30 years that remain the leading causes of child death in, de- in the developing world. And so while HIV-AIDS has a, has a significant impact on populations, on parents, and on children, Really, if we want to overcome the massive problems of child mortality in developing countries, what we need to do is focus on the two big killers, pneumonia and diarrhea. Right. What I was wondering is whether those who have AIDS and HIV are more vulnerable to pneumonia. They definitely are. HIV increases the risk of pneumococcal disease, for example, by about 20 to 40-fold. And so 
one of the ways that HIV and pneumonia play out is that pneumonia, which started as a big problem, is becoming a bigger problem because a small increase in your prevalence of HIV amongst children leads to a big increase in your incidence of pneumonia because it increases rates in those HIV-infected children by 20 to 40 times. Another challenge is antibiotic resistance, which makes treatment after the fact less effective. You have to consider that a lot of the, a lot of the deaths that we have in developing countries are occurring among children who have limited access to care. The, the hospitals or clinics where they go may have a very small repertoire of, of drugs at their disposal. So in the U.S. and other places, antibiotic resistance is a huge problem, but at least we have the opportunity to often pick between those antibiotics. In developing countries, we really cannot afford to lose any more of the antibiotic effectiveness that we have, and, and yet antibiotic resistance and pneumococcus and haemophilus and, and other of the major bacterial causes of pneumonia is, is rapidly increasing. Geographically, where are the most vulnerable populations? If you look at where child deaths occur and particularly where pneumonia deaths occur, pneumonia is the leading cause of child mortality wherever child mortality rates are high. When I mean child mortality rates are high, I'm talking about places where 1 in 10 children who are born are dead by the age of 5. That's a common type of epidemiologic pattern in these developing countries, and most of those countries are located in Sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. And so together, Sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia, I'm talking India, Nepal, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, together those account for about 70% of the world's pneumonia death. So really, if we want to make a, a big impact on child health, we need to tackle pneumonia. And if we want to tackle the pneumonia deaths, we got to be working hard to make inroads in, in sub-Saharan Africa and South Asia. I understand that awareness of the prevalence of pneumococcal disease has greatly improved among international health policymakers, professionals, but not within the community. They're actually seeing the illnesses. I think that this is a complex uh, situation. So when we started our project, we found that many of the kind of leading international experts in global health were focusing entirely on AIDS, TB, and malaria, and were in fact surprised to hear that pneumonia was the leading cause of infectious death worldwide. We would you know, open a dialogue with them and, and show them the WHO estimates with pneumonia as the number one cause of infectious death, and, and they would be surprised. As you say, that's started to change. We've often found that pediatricians and healthcare practitioners in developing countries recognize the burden of pneumonia because they see it on an everyday basis. Parents in the developing world may have varying understanding of the burden of disease. Where we find there are real challenges at the developing country level is in raising awareness of the solutions. So for a long time, I think pneumonia was one of those diseases that people thought, yeah, it's there, but there's not much we can do about it. So one of the things that we need to work on is awareness of the disease, but at a developing country level, we really need to work on awareness of the solutions. And that would be among the parents, the pediatricians, the people who are coming in contact with these children? Absolutely, all of those. Tell us about the countries where you personally travel to promote vaccination. Our project, Pneumoida, 
focuses on trying to accelerate the use of the vaccine in the 72 poorest countries of the world. And those are predominantly the areas I spoke about before, Sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, but there are also countries in Central Asia, Eastern Europe, Latin America. When I travel, it's often either to work with people in countries who are trying to establish surveillance to uncover the burden of disease, working on projects to evaluate the impact of the vaccine. We're actively working to try and figure out what's the best way to use this vaccine so we maximize the health impact, or engaging donors, country-level officials, and others to kind of educate them about the burden of disease and the, the solutions that are out there to help them uh, prevent pneumococcal disease and pneumonia. So in one instance, I might be in a hospital, like a hospital in, in, in the Rift Valley in Kenya, the Nakuru Provincial Hospital, where we've been supporting efforts to try and establish surveillance for bacterial meningitis. This is a provincial hospital that in the past had never isolated streptococcus pneumoniae from a, from a CSF specimen. They just didn't have the, the most basic or rudimentary of laboratory resources. So what our project did is to fund a group in, in Nairobi that basically went to the hospital, trained people in how to do the proper laboratory testing on cerebral spinal fluid specimens from patients with, with meningitis, showed them how to do the quality control and all of those different parts in lab practice that are important, and then support them as well with the reagents, with media, with everything that they need so that they can put this into practice. And so one of the years at our annual network meeting, we awarded them the most improved award because that hospital for the first time in its existence was isolating strep pneumo and Hib from, from CSF specimens. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm often working with groups that are trying to strengthen the surveillance. On the other hand, we're working in the hospitals to try and strengthen clinical capacity to recognize the patients with pneumonia or meningitis and collect the proper specimens. And so uh, when I do those kinds of trips and, and travel, often what I encounter are parents and patients who've been affected by pneumococcal meningitis or pneumococcal pneumonia and you know, for me, the one that, that grabs me most, not only as a professional, but also as a parent, are the patients with pneumococcal meningitis, because in Africa and, and these less developed places, pneumococcal meningitis is devastating. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for today's medical professional. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Oren Levine of Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Thank you for listening.